Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course and help to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week. What a show. We are going to get to look at three excellent articles to help equip you to be a better investor, and then we get to step into everyone's favorite spot in the podcasting universe, Robert's Corner, where we take on the lie that index fund investing and stock market investing at large is easy. You ever heard that? Oh, that's so easy. Oh, hardly. And we'll explain why. We want you to have a big old chest, eyes looking people straight at your Christmas holiday when they ask you how you invest and you say, I'm an index fund investor. You say it with a little flair, a little, little sizzle, a little pizzazz, a little bit of confidence. I'll help you know why. But at the top, <clears throat> we look at a Wall Street Journal article by Juliet Chung and Peter Rudiger, headlined, A Wunderkind Hedge Fund. That's right, I said Wunderkind. That's the correct pronunciation in German word. A Wunderkind Hedge Fund strayed beyond value investing. Here's what happened next. Spruce House. Founded by two friends from Penn, expanded to bet on gross stocks. The strategy flopped last year, and the hedge fund is still making its way back. I found this article deeply instructive for a number of reasons. So what this article describes is these two friends, my age, 38, wildly successful with a hedge fund. So there's much uh, to applaud them for. And, oh, by the way, they had returns that exceeded the S&P 500. So these two friends meet at Penn. Uh, they've got kind of friends and family connection. They start open an E-Trade account, just clicking buttons and buying stocks, and wouldn't you know it, they have some success. So much so that by 2021, their fund's assets were $4.7 billion, up from $2.2 billion in late 2017. Then what happened? <clears throat> the Federal Reserve starts hiking rates, tech and growth stocks cratered, and so did Spruce House. Catch this, the New York hedge fund lost about two-thirds of its clients' money in 2022, according to people familiar with the matter. One of the worst showings by a stock-picking fund that year. It was, as these founders said, a period of psychological torture. Now they're trying to claw their way back. But what happened, and what can you as an investor learn from this, with taking zero delight in their calamity? Because I think, in many ways, we can say these folks are probably incredibly talented. But as an investor, it's not enough, is it, to look at past performance? You probably heard the adage, past performance does not indicate future results. That's a disclosure statement that lawyers will have companies leave so the Securities and Exchange Commission does not get them in trouble. But I'm going to tell you why this would have been a very hard active fund to pass up on and why it would have still made sense for you too. Okay. So this spruce house, started in a dormant pen. Penn is probably just a notch or two below Texas A&M, but a reputable educational institution. Both of these guys came from pedigreed families, solid backgrounds. They start in their dorm. Things are going great. And what did they do? They did what, what I actually advocate for. They devoured Warren Buffett's annual letters. So they just read them cover to cover. They're on the website. They're free. That's a plug. Go read them. They did a great job and actually outperformed the S&P 500. So Spruce House 
average annual return from its start through 2016 was 18% after fees, compared with about 8% the S&P 500. Then it took some stakes in some, they call it, this article says, buzzy online companies, furniture seller Wayfair and car dealer Carvana. Wayfair and Carvana. These may not be names that are familiar to you, or they may be, but these were companies that were different than what the Warren Buffett, Benjamin Graham, Benjamin Graham being Warren Buffett's mentor, would preach in this value investing. So what is value investing? Value investing is a style of investing that's predicated more closely to cash flow and assets and seeking to buy a um, dollar worth of asset for 80 cents. Companies that are trading for what someone would call a fair market value, whereas growth investing would be, wow, I'm going to invest Carvana Wayfair, these companies that um, they're accelerating their earnings, accelerating their sales, and so I'm paying a lot for their growth prospects. So growth versus value. Value being JP Morgan be a value stock, Coca-Cola be a value stock, Exxon will be a value stock. Growth stocks would be Tesla or Meta or Wayfair or Carvana. So they made a switch here, and they then, in hindsight, said, yeah, this was speculation. But put yourself in the investor's shoes. You're signing up. You probably went to a nice steak dinner, heard the pitch, saw the historic returns, heard the co the co-investors will knock your socks off. Uh, it's like MIT, Barry Sternlich, who's a famous hotelier, and uh, they had another kind of big name in here. MIT, yeah, MIT is an endowment. Um, so that these are not just kind of so-so investors. These are solid, solid institutions. <clears throat> and they then get really excited about this growth deal. If you had been an investor, then you would have gotten absolutely slaughtered. So I'd say the very best fund picker, there are people who do this for a living. They, they will pick funds. They'll put you in funds. There's a whole industry related to this. Can you imagine how difficult it would have been to actually decide that these guys didn't have what it took? because they were crushing the S&P 500. But had you gotten at the wrong time, you're probably never going to get back. And this is the real danger in hopping in and out of hot funds. There was data that showed that Fidelity's Magellan Fund, one of the most famous active funds to ever exist, Peter Lynch, the famous stock picker behind it, the average investor actually was kind of so-so. Why was that? They got in at the wrong time. There's a season where the strategy works and a season where it doesn't. And when you go down the active investing road, you've now put yourself in a position where you're at, you're at the controls, you're at the stick, you're the pilot. You've got to go in and out and figure out, did this manager go crazy? Did they lose it? Am I losing it? If I lose two-thirds of my money, am I still happy with what's going on? Are these guys' personal lives okay? Do they actually know what they're talking about? We can avoid this altogether by sticking with the almighty market capitalization-based index fund. Next article. This is this actually was in the Dallas Morning News. It was a syndicate deal, but SEC accuses company of cattle hustle. Alleged Ponzi scheme racked up $191 million with no payoff for investors. I've actually seen a lot of these cattle deals or heard a lot of these cattle deals. Cattle must be a particular industry that's easy to engage in fraud or easier. Now, you can engage in fraud in any industry, but I've heard enough of this that I think, huh. Now, this is a huge number. The SEC says a Fort Worth-based cattle company. Now, I thought the Fort Worth this is where we've got to have humility. The kind of good old boy network, Texas proud, Fort Worth, a handshake looking in the eye. You can take their word. Not a good idea. Trust but verify. Trust but verify. 
they actually <clears throat> they had $191 million in bogus cattle contracts. The complaint, unsealed Wednesday, said Agridime and its co-owners, Josh Lincoln, Jed Wood, these are two solid Texas names, Mr. Lincoln, Mr. Wood, they redirected millions of dollars in investor funds to make Ponzi payments to pay its sales representatives. Here we go. Link, his wife, Tia, and Wood. So, one of the great lines in here, they advertised, here we go, in January of 2021, Agridime began selling cattle contracts that promised investors 15% to 20% annual profits, according to the SEC. For some contracts, the company boasted it could even get up to 32% in profits. The contracts promised the company would sell cattle to investors for two grand per calf and then buy the same cattle back after a year to provide the investment return. And they, Agridime promised investors that their funds would be used to buy feed and raise cattle. Everything would be happening. Now, what should have crossed our mind if you get a pitch like this? One, is this within your circle of competence? Have you ever raised cattle? I certainly have not. So I don't know when someone's lying to me about cattle. I really don't. Now, would an experienced cattleman look at this and just say, oh, sure, that sounds easy? Probably not. It wouldn't surprise me if you looked through the, the list and the Rolodex of investors and did not see a cattleman among them. There may have been one or two. It's always possible. A good deal can sometimes um, play on our greed and we can get caught up in it, but probably not. So the cattle business is very hard. It is extremely difficult to make profits. The article says, Agridime lured investors by telling them on the company's cattle contract page they could make money raising cattle without having to do all the work. The company also said on its website that it knew it sounds too good to be true. Um, they've since removed that language from the website. The lawyers, I'm sure, saw that and didn't like it. But anytime it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So this is a Ponzi scheme that just blew up quick. So it fell apart in early September of this year when the company's cattle contracts required Agridime to pay investors $123 million in principal payments and $24 million in profits. However, the company had a cash balance of less than $1.5 million. So this money's gone. I mean, who knows where, but it's just, it's gone. It's gone. It, what's the lesson? Not that these investors are any less intelligent than us, or that we have some sort of wisdom they don't. It's that we've got to be willing to admit where our circle of competence extends to and where it doesn't, and be wary of easy profits. Be wary. And then one of our favorites, we get to examine Mr. Robert Kiyosaki, the author of the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I think is a fine book. It's a gentleman named Ben Carlson wrote this. He calls it Rich Author, Poor Readers. Ha ha. These are predictions. Mr. Kiyosaki came out on December 10th of this year saying, FYI, bank credit just sold off like 2008. Get some cash out of banks as you need cash. This may be the start of the biggest crash in history. Hope I am wrong. Get no time to play Russian roulette with your life. Oh dear. But haven't we heard this before? In September 26, 2021, he says, again, September 26, 2021, giant stock market crash coming in October. Why? Treasury and Fed short of T-bills. Gold, silver, Bitcoin may crash too. Cash best for picking up bargains after crash. Not selling gold, silver, Bitcoin. You'd have lots of cash for life after stock market crash. Stocks dangerous. Careful. Okay. And then, then I get a chart showing me all these predictions. In 2011, Kiyosaki says, for the educated, an economic crash is the best time to get rich. Guess what? The crash is not over. Uh, he then says in 2015, 
<laughs> cash in on the crash. Uh, later 2015, I've been predicting since 2002 that we would see a stock market crash in 16. okay? Um, and it, it just keeps going. I mean, there's another sign of a real crash coming. That's in 2017. In 2020, the everything crash is coming. Since 1987, the world has been an everything bubble. Now, the crash. Price of gold, silver, Bitcoin will crash too. U.S. dollar to rise. Be patient. Massive money printing ahead. Eventually destroying dollar. Time to buy gold, silver, Bitcoin. Coming. This is 2020. And it doesn't seem to end. So, the, this, this doomsday, though, I'm always amazed. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a standard for being a true prophet of the Lord. And do you know what happened, dear listener, when a false prophet made false proclamations, supposedly saying it in the name of the Lord? That's right, listener. They were stoned to death. Mr. Kiyosaki does not deserve such a thing. However, we need to be willing to have a critical eye. We, folks should be willing to lose their platform or at least confess they're wrong when they're this consistently wrong because it is incredibly dangerous for readers and listeners, especially when they have been a help. Mr. Kiyosaki has helped many people with his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We're going to have to ignore it, though. We're going to have to move on. So do not, do not take the bait when someone like this, as consistently as he does, tells you the world's ending. Canned food. Yeah, stocks are going to fall 90%. Canned food is your only hedge. It's just, I don't know how he does it without going crazy himself. And in closing, Robert's Corner, this holiday season, it may be the case you're surrounded by family. You may be surrounded by friends. And the topic may just come up. Hey, do you invest at all? Do you know what's going on here? And then you may have to admit, yes, that's right. I invest in index funds. That's kind of what I do. You may do other stuff as well. Keeping that cost low, investing simple time, rising along. But if, 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 if you're one of the tried and true here, you're just, yeah, I, I invest in index funds. And the listener may just say, oh, that's so easy. May even say that's even lazy. We must stand up for ourselves and the truth. Forget ourselves, the truth. This is what the index fund investor who is stuck with it, not everyone has, had to keep up with the past few years. A pandemic that caused the economy to turn off for one to two months in the spring of 2020. Unemployment rate that went up to 14%. Unknowing, not knowing just how long the pandemic would last or if there would ever be any sort of end to lockdowns. March 2020 was one of the worst months in stock market history. Interest rates fell to historic lows. Oil prices went negative. Investors experienced the fastest bear market from all-time highs to down 30% ever. Stocks then come roaring back. There's a huge meme stock crypto bubble. Inflation came back from the dead to reach its highest level in 40 years. Nasty bear market in 2022. The Fed takes short-term rates from 0 to 5% quickly. The bond market saw its worst crash in history. The 60-40 portfolio had one of its worst years ever. And for the past two years, investors have been inundated with predictions of recession, a repeat of the 1970s, stagflation, a housing market crash, and worse. So, everyone that said, 
how easy investing is. It's often the case that they haven't quite endured long enough. There are certainly rewards for the long-term investor. However, long-term investors are the exception. Now, I've, I've noticed it get better over time. The data has shown that uh, both Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, and others have data showing people are sticking with their investments. Typically, in a retirement account, they do a better job. But it's not easy. It is not easy sticking with an investment plan amidst that deluge of negative data that I just read to you. So, when you do get that uncle, cousin, family member who says, oh, that index fund investing, how easy, you just remind yourself. You may not even need to answer them. Sometimes a gentle word can turn away wrath, and that may be what you need to do. But if you sense it's the right time, you can simply say, oh, no, oh, no, far from easy. There's a reason why index fund investors are in the top 5% of all investors over a 20-year period. And it's not because it's easy. It's because it's wise. It takes incredible patience. Incredible patience. And a large part of why this podcast exists is to keep us going when our patience is tried, which it is regularly. You've heard me confess my patience has been tried by what asset class? What asset class has just absolutely bedeviled me the prior 15 years? That's right, international stocks absolutely bedeviled me. And yet, I've got to press on. And I've got to remember to keep those costs low, keep that investing simple, and keep that time horizon long, because I know that's, that's going to be the best shot on my investing journey. Until next time.